The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, number 156, for June 17th, 2008. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I'm here with John Braun, and John, happy third anniversary. Are, are you kidding me? I awesome. kid you not. I kid awesome. you not. Yeah, it happened a couple of days ago. Okay. We don't have anything well, special planned, but, uh, you know, that's how it goes. No, well, uh, my, pres- my present's coming. So, um, <laughs> welcome back. But but it seems that, you know, when you came over here, you, you know, forged the path of, uh, of, of death and destruction or <laughs> what massive you- flooding. What did you do? What are you talking about? Oh, coming back yeah. from California, bringing the, uh, the rains with me? Yeah, I don't know. It was yep. a little delayed there. But anyways, I don't know about last night. I mean, last night was kind of rough here. I mean, we had, uh, you know, uh, storm drains uh, doing what they shouldn't do, which is uh, <laughs> eject water on the road instead of suck it up. So uh, I don't know about you, how, how you did last night. Uh, yeah, the the it was stormy, but not terrible. I actually had to drive back from outside of Boston last night and it was, you know. It was what it was, but uh, okay. And I'm just uh, mentioning this because I know we had a, a caller a couple of uh, shows ago um, in Cedar Rapids, which, as as we heard in the news, they're yeah. uh, mostly underwater. So yeah. I hope both you and your Mac <laughs> are dry. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so we have a bunch of stuff to go through. I did want to, uh, you know, last week, John, I I think I hit a personal record. I did three podcasts in. Less than 24 hours. Ooh, uh, you're a rock star. Yeah. So I did. Yeah. We did ours right just before I did ours. I was on the Mitch album show. So that doesn't really count as a podcast. That was just a radio mm-hmm. interview. Detroit drive time, I think. And then uh, later that night, I was on the iPhone Alley podcast, which was awesome because it's actually one of my favorite podcasts to listen to. So I felt like a fanboy being on there. Um, and we had a, we had a great discussion. And then the next day I was on the Mac Roundtable podcast with uh, with all those folks. So it was lots of fun. We'll put links in the show notes to the uh, to the various sources. But uh, lots of fun. My- Outstanding. So what did you do for uh, Father's Day? Anything special or? Yeah, let's see. Well, we um, Lisa's dad was actually here in New Hampshire, but all alone that day. So he came down and uh, we hung out and uh, went out for actually we had lobster for lunch and steak for dinner. It was, you know, pretty good day. So, okay, we did the uh, yeah, I had the uh, family, including the new in-laws over and uh, the grill is a standard part of it. Absolutely. It has to be on Father's Day. You you, you must grill. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So we have all kind. It's a it's a normal show here uh, in so much as any of these shows can be normal. Starting off with some leopard tips uh, or uh, not just leopard tips, tips about everything. Edwin, though, has a tip that uh, is specific to leopard and time machine. You know, John, you, we often complain about, you know, what is it that time machines backing up? And while we still can't know, Edwin suggested excluding if you are backing up your iTunes music library with Time Machine, exclude the podcast directory. This is all content that, for the most part, you could probably re-download, and it's constantly changing. So you probably don't need that stuff backed up, and uh, and it's not a bad thing to uh, to do. So I, I like that piece of advice and wanted to share it. Okay. That ties in, I think, and actually, I, I think I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again, is uh, movies. Yeah. For a lot of people... 
it's either like in my case, it's usually movie trailers that I just like to have, especially now with HD trailers. You don't want to back up all those. Right. You know, they, they tend to get kind of large. So right. movies I exclude and uh, yeah, podcasts or, or the music folder. Well, maybe not mm. the music folder. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, I go, I go. Or pictures, especially if you're, and I guess you got to think about your strategy. Like for example, pictures, if they're also stored offline on a service like that Mac or something like, like that, maybe you don't need the, the then again, the uh, pessimist in me says yeah. that you should back up as many times Space as possible is, as long space as it doesn't is cheap, take up. Man. Yep. Yeah, maybe bandwidth isn't, but you know, dot Mac I think is a good is a good uh one of the good solutions for, for that sort of thing. Yeah. To yeah, yeah. up your uh data. Yep. Uh pilot Pete points out as say that ten times fast, that uh when you go in and exclude something from Time Machine, all the old backups of that data still exist. So what you do is you go into the finder and you highlight the uh the folder that you want. And click on Time Machine, and then it'll go into that, you know, foofy, crazy interface that I still don't <laughs> understand. And uh, and once you've got that folder highlighted, you go up to the top in the, the toolbar, uh, go to the little widget menu, which is like the little gear. Little gear, yeah. Yep. We, we talked about that once, I think. But yeah, it's good to bring up again. And and then choose Delete All Backups of This Folder. And that way it'll go back through and, and wipe all that stuff out so you're not saving it uh, ad infinitum. So. An excellent piece of advice. All right. Uh, we talked about all different ways of sending large files from one person to another. And Dave has another piece of advice. Hey, guys. My name is Dave. Uh, I'm listening to an older episode, episode number 138. So sorry that I'm behind. I'm just catching up on old things. Um, one of the things you talked about is transferring large files, uh, especially somebody had a comment about transferring between somebody on a Mac and uh, Windows XP, different things. You mentioned the FTP and the .Mac and the YouSendIt. Um, I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on our new service, uh, fairly new, that I use that is tremendous. Uh, it's called Get Dropbox. Um, actually, that's the website. The service is called Dropbox, but you go to www.getdropbox.com. Um, Dropbox is far and large the best one that I've used in a long time. Um, cross-platform. It downloads a little client onto Mac or Windows, um, and it actually installed itself to give you uh, a folder, a shortcut to those folders. Um, easy to find, but the, the nice feature on it, I believe it's still in beta, so it's free right now. I believe the new beta users are getting five gigabytes of storage, um, and the beautiful thing about it, you just drag whatever you want into your Dropbox and it will seamlessly integrate with multiple computers. It was designed originally to be um, for a way to keep files synchronized between multiple computers for yourself, so your office computer, home computer, laptop, whatever. Um, the nice thing is you put it in there, and it'll over the Internet automatically update those files in every location. One of the other really nice things is, especially if you're doing a large file, um, an Excel spreadsheet, for instance, Let's say, I mean, that would be a large one, but let's say somehow you have a 100-megabyte spreadsheet. If you went in and changed just one cell, most file services, you would need to re-upload and resend that entire file. The way Dropbox works, it figures out the delta or the change in that file, and it only transmits that change. Um, I guess that's a lot of technicalities behind the scenes that makes it work. I don't know how it does it, but um, if you actually look at your transmit rates and all that stuff, 
it will only transmit whatever you have changed. So that's a great time saver. Um, another nice thing they have, they have a shared folder in there. So anything that you put within your shared folder, if you right click on it, you can do copy public link and you can email it similar to you would, would you send it or whatever. Um, email or IM somebody a link and it will let them automatically download that. Another beautiful thing it lets you do is kind of a collaboration thing. It lets you create shared folders. So you could specify only these users are allowed to see this folder. So, for instance, the two of you could create a shared folder, um, different usernames, different passwords, but anything that you guys drag into that folder, the other one would automatically get uploaded. You could both actually be in there and editing and changing at the same time, um, and it would automatically figure out who has the most recent version um, and so on. Again, I know I'm rambling. Um, they have a great demo video on there. Again, it's www.getdropbox.com. Um, check it out. I think you guys will love it. But wait, there's less. Wow, that uh, there's what? there's a lot going on there. That's uh, that actually sounds pretty cool. We gotta we gotta check that out. I'm really curious about his claim that uh, it will transfer only the changes in one file. The oh. only way I could see it doing that is if it's actually cloning on a block for block level the the virtual drive, if you will, if it's creating like a disk image on either side and then only changing the change blocks right but that 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 i need to see so but that sounds pretty cool but i believe you can do that i don't know if they're doing this i haven't checked it out i didn't have time but but if you recall we we talked in a a earlier show many episodes ago about sparse images versus sparse bundles right you remember i do yep and from whatever call though i haven't really researched it uh, i don't know if you have but uh Sparse bundles are a special type of file where the, there are these things called bands. And the thing is, even though it represents a large amount of data, the bands keep track of, like, I think they're four megs or 4K or four megs or something. I think they're megabytes. But okay. they're, they're much smaller than, than the potential largest size of this thing. So if only a little part of a file has changed, then this sparse bundle is smart enough if your app knows how to deal with it. And maybe... Right. Uh, that service does, then you only back up the part that changed and not the whole whopping file, which is, I think, what, you oh, know, going yeah. back, we see sometimes with, uh, with uh, the, you know, the syncing. Right, right. Well, yeah, that's how if you keep a local copy of your iDisk, uh, it's stored as a sparse bundle. And that's how Time Machine can back up slices of it without backing up, yeah, the, the whole 10 gigs or whatever it is. Yeah, that, I, I, I bet you're right. I bet that's what it is. And I guess it's yeah. worth mentioning that dot .Mac, although you have to pay for it, um, and it will be, you know, converted to, uh, what's the... Uh, mobile your, mobile Me, right? Mobile Me. Yeah. So, uh, but, but, but from what I've seen, and they also offer, you, you sent me the link, and we'll link to that, of course. But there is a Windows utility, so if you need to share among, you know, Mac and Windows machines, of course, dot .Mac, uh, for the price. I, I don't know, personally, I, I think it's worth it for all it does, so... Uh, but they offer a nice Windows utility that lets you do some level of disk sharing on Windows. It's actually, I think, a web dev uh, volume, which is over, you know, HTTP. So in theory, any computer that can do web browsing should be able to access a web dev volume. So, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I got to check out this Dropbox thing. That That's cool. All right. Moving along to Paul. Is that right, John? Right. Anna, oh, I took uh, a... Oh, sorry. You know, we were listening to Paul before, and we, we jumped the gun. Here we go. Greetings, Dave and John. This is Paul Scott from Las Vegas, Nevada. 
I took a uh, tip from one of your previous shows and I purchased myself a new microphone, a blue snowball. So I hope my audio quality sounds better now. And so far, I'm loving the new microphone. Thanks for the recommendation. I have two comments on Parallels today. First, when you set up a Parallels partition, you can set it to automatically grow so you don't have to decide a partition size right away. It doesn't shrink automatically, but they do provide a utility called Parallels Image Tool that'll allow you to resize it. But if you don't want to set a specific size when you install, it'll grow as you add files to the system. Uh, the second tip is the shared profile. If you go into Edit Virtual Machine Shared Profile, you can set your My Documents in Windows to link to your documents on Mac, My Pictures to Pictures, My Music to Music, and Desktop to Desktop. Make it easier to share files back and forth between OS X and Windows. So those are my two Parallels tips for the day. Thank you very much. And I'll leave you guys today with a quick question. Where did Don't Get Caught get started? <laughs> hmm. uh, so do you have anything to say about uh, Parallels? Uh, and a little bit. Um, so first, I think Paul sounds, uh, he, he sounds marvelous. Yeah. I don't know. That mic sounds good. Though actually, Dave, you've, you've termed a little audio geek, and I guess he could use probably a little padding. I heard a little echo there off of the walls, but anyways, no the uh, the snowball. I mean, you you and I like it for uh, on the road action. So uh, yeah, although I have to say, for podcasting on the road, the road podcaster is now my favorite. Oh well, yeah, but that's so. a that's a big boy mic. That's a hefty. Uh, it's three three times <laughs> the price too. I think yeah. Yeah, it's probably not quite as transportable, but uh, but anyways, no. yeah, yeah, yeah it is. For it is. It. Yeah. Um, you know, and I would just say off the bat, I'm I'm wary of anything that resizes our partition. I'm just going to say that because I've seen, and and we talked about this last time that parallels and and resizing and all that. Sometimes, you know, especially when you're doing it on the Mac side, resizing and then expecting Windows to deal with it. Uh, I don't know. I I would just say I generally get nervous about dynamic resizing. So if you're going to do that, you know, just back up often so it doesn't. Uh, lead to disaster so even though i know the tools do that i i still i'm, I'm just wary i i don't trust okay well well I, two two things with that one you're right about the backups and parallels does the snapshots where you can save a snapshot of uh of mm -hmm. the working state and restore from it at any time so that that would be step one um step two though this is not a partition right this is just a, a essentially yeah. a, a a it's disk a, image and it just like it's a file, that right? Looks just, like a, a network volume, or, or a, I'm sorry, a physical. Yeah. Volume. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, the way right parallels translates it that way, but it, I don't think it's any different than the sparse bundle that you create when you sync your iDisk to your Mac. I mean, that in theory could be 10 gigs, right? Because that's the size of, of your iDisk, but it it doesn't take up 10 gigs. It only takes up the amount of space that you have data occupying. So true. It, it, I think okay. it. Okay. No, I see your point. You know, I, I, I guess my point is, I tend to trust it pretty well. It's you know, we've been doing this a while. Uh, that technology, meaning, and uh, I, you know, yeah, there's but always it never risks. Hurts to, to me, it never hurts to be paranoid. <laughs> you and got make it. An extra backup, maybe on an external volume. Yes. Just if something really bad happens. So yes. Again, I'm sorry to be the pessimist, but you know, when you're doing backups, that's that's kind of the point. Oh, right? that's the point. Yeah, it's not it's not if it's when the problem strikes. <laughs> All right. Speaking of problems, Leon. Hey, Dave and John, this is Leon from Maryland. Hang on a second. I want to turn down my podcast. I don't want you to get feedback. <laughs> Always a joker. Uh, I wanted to thank mm -hmm. you for answering a question of mine a couple of podcasts ago. Appreciate the help. 
I wanted to comment on a recent topic around um, parallels and fusion on um, and and issues with uh, viruses and security that you covered in the podcast 155. Uh, One thing to consider, while the viruses can't jump to the Mac side from the PC side, a lot of Windows viruses like to uh, scan around and delete files or harvest information from files. So if you use the features in Parallels or Fusion to expose your Mac uh, drives to Windows, if the files can be read uh, and they're in a format that can be read by any of these viruses and certainly they can easily be deleted, um, that could get you. So what I do is carefully open up only those folders and files that really need to be accessed in Windows and leave the rest shut down. And in some cases, I make some of the stuff read only. So that uh, gives you that just that little extra bit of security in case your virus software doesn't catch a virus that's out there. One other quick note is uh, while you can make your files available to your Windows partition um, from the Mac, the one challenge you have is that they show up as network drives, and there are some programs uh, that don't really like that. I've had a lot of problems with Quicken for Windows running in Parallels, and I have to store the files in the Parallels partition because Quicken chokes when it tries to get to the network drives. It thinks they're network drives trying to get to uh, the Mac folders. So just a little bit of warning there. It's worth trying to see if you can do it, but if you get weird behavior in the applications, uh, that may be the answer. You may be stuck with keeping the files in your Parallels or Fusion partition. Anyway, thanks for all of the great tips, and hope this helped you out a bit. Bye. Thanks, Leon, and and uh, thanks everybody for sending in all these tips. I mean, this is fantastic data. I, I know I'm I'm learning stuff. I hope you all are. And uh, and John, you got uh, something you want to add there? I'm not. I mean, no, I'm learning tons. Of course, <laughs> of course, yeah. No, I thank everybody that uh, writes or sounds or whatever I call it. But um, <laughs> no, it's a good point when you're sharing. Yeah, and I, I mean, the the one thing I'm impressed by the functionality of some of these environments like VMware and parallels to be able to share somewhat seamlessly, though I actually had a kind of weird act, uh, uh, thing today when I was trying to map a network printer. It didn't quite work out that well on, on the font. Uh, <clears throat> font. <laughs> okay. Well, so I got to figure that out. It was, it was printing out weird fonts. The graphics were coming out okay. So huh. I got to review that in parallels. But, but the other thing is, yes, if you have, well, on the one hand, I understand that Office has pretty much eliminated the problem with macro viruses and stuff like that. But still, some documents, I guess, can be infected, including graphic files or other type of files. So, yeah, I would agree if you share, uh, as you said, Dave, uh, I think if you share stuff, you want to limit or, or the listener said if, or right. both of us um, it, limit what you share. Um, now, the other thing I thought was a, a interesting little tangent is printer viruses, because a lot of these environments also let you share with a printer. Now, it is possible, though I haven't seen one in a long time, and I think a lot of the printer languages like PostScript and PCL have, have put in safeguards. But I remember actually as a, a wee uh, intern <laughs> when I was going to school, we wrote little PostScript viruses that would do fun things like turn the background and the font and everything black, which, or white, whatever. <clears throat> but, but, um, and actually I think, uh, pilot Pete there has, uh, some stories which you can't really talk about, but, um, anyways, printer viruses are, and actually this, this is my finger wag to it people. I've seen so many, including my, uh, nine to five where network printers are kind of open to the world. I mean, the, the wonderful thing is you have a web, web interface. The bad news is, a lot of times they don't even set it up to 
protected from, you know, casual uh, sniffers. Surfers. Yeah. So <laughs> anyways, that's my closing comment on that. All right. A little sip of water here. Yeah. Yeah. I think, John, you and I are both suffering from allergies or something. I, I hope it's just allergies mm-hmm. and not... Uh, I don't know. I've had something going on. I can't sing for more than like an hour. It's been crazy. But anyway, uh, so before we move on to the part where we answer your questions as opposed to you providing us with advice, I wanted to tell you about our first sponsor for the show this evening, and that is Second Gear with their product called Today, available at secondgearllc.com slash today. Today is a compact little interface that lets you see and edit Uh, your iCal data for today or really any other day. You can navigate back and forth and and see, you know, days in the future and, of course, days in the past. You've got a at the top of the interface, it shows you all your appointments for the day. And then at the bottom, it shows you your to-dos. And you can create new appointments and to-dos right there in the interface. The cool thing is because Apple has with, uh, I believe it started with Leopard, uh, but certainly with Leopard and Maybe with Tiger, no, just Leopard. They uh, they abstracted out the calendar data store. So this app isn't really syncing with iCal. It's more that it's reading from reading from and writing to exactly the same data store that iCal does, just like mail does with your to-dos. So anything that you put into this will appear in iCal, and if it's a to-do, it'll appear in mail as well. Works really, really well. I actually... Now, the you know, once they, they started sponsoring the show, I wanted to check out the app. Now I can't stop using it. It's really just a nice, quick interface without having to launch iCal, which has gotten really, really clunky, by the way. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, of course, available for a free trial. And it's 15 bucks U.S., but you can save 10% on your purchase by using the code for this show, which is MGG156, since this is, of course, episode 156. Uh, all right. So that's second gears today at secondgearllc.com slash today. And with that, Scott, take it away. Hello, this is Scott from Washington, the state, not the capital. Hey, I have a question for the magicians. Um, I'm trying to sync my wife's calendar with mine or actually share, basically want to share a calendar on two computers. So I cleaned up the one on my iMac. And then I synced it, I had it uh, clear everything on .Mac and sync it with the computer. Then I went to her computer, had it um, clear everything off of hers, or had it, say, replace everything on this computer with everything from .Mac, thinking that it would uh, mirror what was on my computer, and then we would just have separate calendars for her and for me within that. And um, But when it came down, it came out as just blank and gave her a home calendar and a work calendar, but none of the stuff that I synced to .Mac showed up on her iCal. So I'm wondering if that's normal or how we can do that to where we can, I don't mind if we see each other's calendars and all that. So, you know, I figured we could just, she could change things and it would automatically sync to .Mac and I would see it on mine, you know, after a couple minutes or whatever it takes for .Mac to fix it. Um, so I just need a stopgap. I'm assuming mobile me will fix that. Um, so can you let me know if I'm doing something wrong or how I can achieve that? Um, through dot .Mac on two different Macs. And then the second question is, since the update um, that they just got for Leopard, I haven't been able to use, um, I've never got uh, back my Mac to work on my iMac, um, at least, you know, remotely from a, other than on our network, but outside our network, I can't seem to connect it. And I've done the dynamic D-Y-N-E-S, and I can, um, I use that for a couple other things like phone valet and stuff to get into my computer. 
that the Back to My Mac hasn't worked. And with the recent update, it now shows on their Back to My Mac, it actually says, it gave me a warning of why it didn't think it was working, and it said I had two different um, NATs running. So I tried turning the NAT off on my DSL modem, and I think it wouldn't even let me get to the Internet, so that didn't work. So I took that back on my DSL modem, and then I took NAT off of the um, my Airport Extreme, and it still didn't work. So it's it's nice that it's giving me some information on what why back to my Mac has never seemed to work on my computer. But doing its advice didn't seem to help. So I'm wondering if I'm if there's additional settings that I have to do besides turning off NAT on one of those devices or not. So I know that's a whole lot to chew on, but uh, <laughs> you guys always have the pretty good appetite. So I'm going to leave my email address right here. Oh, okay. Uh, so we'll start with uh, you getting a, you're getting a twofer here, Scott. So we're going to start with with uh, the first question about calendar sharing. So if you have a single user dot Mac account, not the family share, but a single user, or if you have the family share and only use the same user, if you both sync to the same user, meaning you go into the dot Mac system preference pane and the credentials in there are the same on both machines, assuming you've got on the next tab over uh you've got syncing turned on and then iCal turned on in theory it will sync your iCal data back and forth it doesn't care about the username of the person on the machine it's just the dot mac data um so so assuming that that's the case yes it will but that also means if you want to sync contacts with dot mac you're going to be sharing those among the computers dot mac is really meant not to share with other users, but to keep your own data in sync from computer to computer. And mobile me will be the same way. Mobile me and dot Mac really are one in the same mobile. Me is a, like we talked about this last week is a new name and adds some additional functionality. The web interfaces uh, got a revamp. And then of course we have an iPhone and a windows client for it. So uh, that that's that part of it. If though, the go ahead. Only thing well, well, the only thing I want to add is that I've noticed that, for example, so in iCal, you have groups, which yes. you can define. Yes. And in iSync, you can specify per device, I guess, what groups you would like. So I'm, I'm just pointing out that... Very important, I, though, to note that iSync has nothing to do with what he's doing. iSync okay. is only for, like you said, for devices and really... Only for third-party devices, right? It's that kind of sort of almost deprecated support thing. Okay, Whereas, and I thought I mentioned it because yeah. it, within the iSync calendars section, you can specify these same groups that you see in iCal. So, but the other thing I mentioned is that, and, and actually I've wrestled with this, and uh, so it's a little tangent, but uh, the palm that I have, and, and I use the uh, notes uh, conduit, is that I have these different groups showing up and sometimes it gets kind of squirrely in, into what groups get backed up to what device or, or what network store like dot Mac. So, okay. Okay. Yep. Uh, so, but, but there is an answer. If you want to have two different dot uh, Mac accounts uh, syncing for various reasons, um, there's a, there's a piece of software called busy sync, which will allow you to do a couple of different things. One on a local LAN, it will allow two computers to sync an iCal calendar with or without dot Mac. Uh, and, and so, and you can edit as opposed to, you know, with, with iCal, of course you can share your calendar if you have dot Mac and then other people can subscribe busy sync. Uh, it makes it a two way street. So you can not only subscribe, but edit the same calendar uh, together. It will also sync 
with Google calendars as kind of the intermediary if you want to do it that way. So you don't have to be on the local LAN. You can set up a Google Calendar account to bounce that stuff back and forth. So that's just the that that might be the easiest solution for you here, Scott. So uh, so now let's talk about back to my Mac. Uh, first of all, yes, it's better in 10.5.3. No, it's not perfect. But as you saw, it points out some some of the issues. Now, I think, John, you and I will both agree on this. If you've got two routers in place for various reasons, as Scott does, you do not want to have NAT routing and DHCP turned on on both of them. <laughs> you you only right. You only want it on. on not the, unless you want to disrupt the network that you're on. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because, you know, for things like <laughs> Bonjour to work and all that, you want to have everybody on the same subnet. And if you've got two NAT routers kind of, you know, hanging off of each other, that's just not going to happen. I think so. technically NAT, if it's done right, could do that. But DHCP is just bad because it's all right. from the last I looked at DHCP is a broadcast thing. So a machine says, hey, DHCP server, tell me what I should do. And if there's multiple ones, well, depending on which one is closer, I guess, they'll they'll say, here, do this. And then the other will say, do that. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So definitely do do what you've done. That may or may not solve the back to my Mac issue. It It's obviously one thing that would prevent it from working properly, assuming the second machine, the machine you're trying to connect to is hanging off of the second router. But even still, back to my Mac is a little bit clunky and it works better if the router that you're using is an Apple router. I'm not going to say it doesn't work mm -hmm. with third party routers because mine for me, actually, it works fine with my Linksys router with that, you know, third party software on it and everything. But uh, but certainly, you know, they they've built it to work as best as possible with Apple hardware, because that's what they test with more you know, than anything else. You may shake your fist at me. OK, I would say in 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 case because I've run into these cases with uh, not necessarily Mac, but Windows remote access and stuff. And you may want to go to your firewall and temporarily lower it down. Mm to maybe allow essential because I've seen a lot of times a firewall gets in the way of some of these services that assume, I think that the firewall will honor uh UPnP or other sort of requests, yep. open up ports and allow things to happen. And if they don't, then you're sitting there watching a spinning beach ball of death or spinning cursor or something. So I hate to have to say that. That's why I'm saying you may shake your fist at me, but sometimes killing the firewall temporarily may let you do what you need to do. And then, you know, after that point, especially if you have a network admin, say, you know, what's up here? Can you? And and actually, where, where I'm at, where our network admins uh, have been very uh, gracious and they're supportive, you know, these weird requests. As long as you say, you know, I need this port, that port, that port, that port. Right. As long as you're not, you know, saying, please turn off the firewall. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. And make sure you, you know, you buy them lunch a couple times a year that uh, that helps smooth things over. Right. Yeah, pretty much. So it's a uh, so I guess it, yeah the the remote sharing thing is is always kind of shaky, especially yep. again if you have a firewall like in a hotel or a big company or a, probably not a school, but right, right. All right, uh, let's see what Robert has to. Uh, we love Robert. Hey, it's Robert Hazelrig from New Jersey. I am calling because I have a question that I don't know if you can answer. Um, that is, did Snow Leopard? Give any into, uh, any hints as to adding multi-touch in its next incarnation. Um, 
I was certain that we would get some sort of glimpse at WWDC um, of some sort of some form of multi-touch or a more robust multi-touch on the Mac. I'm certain that that's coming. I don't know it other than just an educated or uneducated guess, I should say. Um, I was just wondering if you've had a chance to uh, look at it or find out anything about it. Um, if you don't have time to call me or email me, you could just say wink on the uh, on the show. Um, uh, I guess it would be one wink for yes and two winks for no. Um, that way you don't have to uh, <laughs> divulge any information. But uh, anyway, thanks for uh, any insight that you may have. Thanks. Bye. Okay. So, yeah, you know, they, they talked about uh, in uh, the main, the public keynote, right? They talked about uh, Snow Leopard uh, very, very briefly. And I did go to some of the sessions. Now, officially, the sessions that I see at WWDC, uh, the, the data that's presented to, to me is under NDA. Now, uh, I'm sure the data from most of those sessions will get out. There's 5,000 people there. It's not a tight NDA, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to violate it. Right. There's no good reason to, uh, what I will. So, so I can't talk about any of the details that we saw after the fact, but to be perfectly honest, uh, what we saw in the jobs keynote is sort of the, the, the broad strokes. And then the, the details are just nitty gritty, but, uh, there's so the the answer is two winks. I, I certainly now maybe there were other sessions I missed, but I certainly didn't see anything about uh, you know multi touch or anything. That doesn't mean it's not there. Uh, to me, what I got and I got this from Jobs keynote and it and this opinion didn't change throughout the week. Snow Leopard clearly is built for all the under the hood stuff. Um, you know, it's my speculation, and, and I think there's a lot of people that share it that. Apple's not going to really be able to charge 129 bucks for this thing, assuming they head down the same path with it. Um, you know, they, they've got a couple of the new architectures that are in there, the OpenCL and the Grand Central, the, the threading model. Uh, and those will make things faster and, and are pretty cool in their own right. But I think the only consumer targeted feature, if you want to call it that, is native exchange 2007 support. And. Mm. I, you know, I don't know how big of a deal that is. I mean, Microsoft's targets are that 2007 will only have 40% adoption by 2009. So I'm not sure that even that's a big deal, but, but yeah, you know, certainly for, for some people it would be, but yeah, I think, I think snow leopard is kind of, you know, the, the, we spent too much time with our engineers on the iPhone and pulled them off a leopard. And so we've got this other cool stuff that we want to kind of roll out under the hood. And, and this is how we're going to do it. That that's basically what I got when I saw Steve's keynote. And I, like I said, my opinion yeah. hasn't changed. So two wings. Our rant though, I think in the question was multi-touch. Yes. That that was what he was asking about. Yeah. There was nothing about that. I don't, you know, and, and again, as a software type of guy that knows how to do hardware as well, mm -hmm. why can't you just spread the love about multi-touch? It, to me, it, it uh, I don't see any technical reason why it has to be isolated to a certain trackpad or a certain USB controller. Uh, you know, anything you can do in hardware, you can do in software, maybe slowly or slower. But, right. So that's always aggravated me because I, I was working with a coworker that has one of the first generation dual core Macs. And I 
started, you know, trying to guide him to do something in parallels. I'm like, well, just do a double, you know, a two finger click in parallels because that's a control click. Oh, well, no, it's not. Uh, not on his machine and it's like the limitation i mean i'm sure the trackpad if you ripped it apart the electronics short of the firmware or the controller or whatever i don't know where it lives exactly but so to me i think as many because i don't know dave i found one of the more compelling features of the latest machines in the os is multi-touch being able to scroll being able to surf and stuff like that i just find it so much more useful yep and and I can't understand why they, they, they limit the population unless to drive hardware sales, maybe, which as an Apple stockholder, I can certainly support. But That's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I have some theories on this. Um, yeah. First of all, I, I agree with you. You know, for the most part, I don't use the trackpad on my on my laptop because it's connected to a display and a keyboard and a mouse. But when I'm traveling, as I, of course, was last week. Uh, multi-touch is now totally ingrained in my workflow. I don't even, don't even think about mm-hmm. it. I just use it to scroll around and everything. The scrolling especially for me is huge. I, I, I couldn't possibly live without it. I don't know how I did. So I agree. Y- you know, th- there's, there's certainly going to be a lot of happy people if suddenly multi-touch was available in the older machines. So why isn't it? Your, your you know, profit, uh, uh, profiteering theory might be <laughs> correct. There's also kind of in that same vein, right? The whole Sarbanes-Oxley thing uh, where, you know, you add features to a device and now you've already counted the revenue for it. And now you've got to do all this crazy accounting. Certainly they could, you know, do something like they did with the iPod Touch every time it comes around and there's an update that, you know, we've got to charge you 10 bucks because we're adding features to a device that we already counted the revenue for, blah, blah, blah. I Frankly, I think Sarbox was well-intentioned and is a disaster. But mm-hmm. uh, so, so that's potentially it. But really my guess is that it, that you're right. It's software, but it's the firmware in the trackpads. and sure. The old trackpads can do it. There are third party utilities that will kind of sort of allow you to get there, but it's not as smooth as it is on the machines that were built that way from the outset. And we all know how Apple is. They want to preserve the UI they want to preserve the UE, the user experience. And if they can't do it perfectly, they don't do it. Uh, so I think you combine all of those things together. It's like, well, you know, why go back and support an old machine on this? Let's just, you know, eye on the future. Burn your bridges, mm-hmm. as uh, Leander Caney says, and, and go forward. Yeah. So that's uh, that's that's my uh, that's my thought there. All right. I I want to talk about uh, we should talk about our second sponsor here, John. And Audible, mm-hmm. I know we've mentioned it, is back. Uh, they took uh, took awesome. a month off and they're back. So the the old link that works again, audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekCab. And that'll get you a two week free trial of the Audible Listener Gold and it gets you one free download. I'm uh, I'm currently enjoying a book uh, by Neil Stevenson called Snow Crash. It's a uh, it's a really kind of geeky story, almost, you know, I, I kind of relate it to a William Gibson esque thing. Um, but there's this this whole kind of answer sort of sort of it. You know, that this there's this thing Future? called the meta, metaverse where uh, it's this virtual environment where, where everybody kind of hangs out and uh, there's interesting things happening in it. It's, it's actually a really good read. I've been enjoying it uh, all last week and it's available on Audible. 
So, uh, so you can get that one for free. I think the unabridged version is uh, $34.99 if you were to buy it. And if you use audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekCab, you can get it today and listen to it for free. So you can't beat that. Go ahead, sign up. You do have to provide a credit card to sign up. But if you cancel before your two-week free trial is up, you do not have to give back any of the books. All the stuff that you pull down is yours to keep, including your free download. So important to note. That's right. I wanted to make sure we got that across because I don't know that we'd ever actually clarified that before. So audiblepodcast.com slash MacGeekCab. Happy to have him back. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, we've got another trackpad uh, question here from uh, from Adam. So let's, uh, we can, yeah, here we go. Greetings, Geek Gabbers. This is Adam in Southern California. Um, <clears throat> I have a couple of questions, so uh, I'll try and be brief uh, to get everything out there as quickly as possible. So uh, question one, I have a G3 um, Mac iBook. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's really my kid's computer now, and the trackpad has stopped working. Uh, it only really works with a, the, a mouse plugged in. Uh, I went through the uh, system preferences and looked for some, you know, anything in the, the mouse or the uh, um, keyboard or track uh, trackpad control panel system settings things that um, might say turn uh, keypad on or off and uh, found nothing. Um, <clears throat> I think I even went through the uh, the uh, the press and tried to uh, delete <clears throat> the uh, mouse or trackpad preferences and that didn't seem to do anything. So, um, wondering, obviously something's corrupt somewhere. Uh, question is, is it hardware or software? Is there a way to tell? Um, short of reinstalling the, uh, the OS, is there uh, any kind of simple or not so simple fix that I can do to get it working again. Okay. Uh, Before the second question, I will apologize if I sound like a Muppet. It's because I I have a cold. Um, Probably doesn't sound... All right. And I'm actually going to cut it off here because unfortunately, Adam's second question uh, kind of trailed off in the middle there. So... Uh, you want to uh, you want to take this one or, or uh... yeah, I'll take okay, the start go. here. So number one is I think he mentioned he has kids near the uh, computer, so they probably got some gunk on the trackpad. <laughs> Could be, Dave. I mean, your kids are are pretty well behaved, but I've still seen some mishaps. And of course, and I I know a lot of people that have. Uh, I have no kids myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, but the anyways, thing I, so, I will um, I will note uh, something. Coca-Cola, in my experience, is the worst thing for electronics. Uh, It's even worse than water. I had a keyboard one night. uh, It was actually Lisa. We were still dating. She had a rum and coke going and poured that spilled it on the keyboard. Uh, You know, I'd spilled water on this keyboard in the past. I'd spilled, you know, various other things on it. The coke in that drink totally ate away at the keyboard immediately. And that was the end of it. It never worked again. So, so. If Coke ever hit that trackpad, certainly, you know. Yeah. So I've kicked, and actually I've kicked around with the people I work with, which uh, are a lot of brilliant scientists and engineers and stuff. And pure water does not conduct electricity. Of course, pure water water is a challenge. Yeah. There's some gunk in there. But anyways, so I would say that the place to look would be in, and now this is a G3, so I'm not sure what OS you're running. Um, but under system profiler, I would say the best place to look would be the USB category. At least on my machine, it shows the keyboard and it shows the trackpad as a separate device. 
if your machine does not see that via the uh, system profiler, then, and I love to say this as a software person, but it's a hardware problem. (laughs) (laughs) In other words, either a connector or something. uh, I mean, if, if the software that is meant to see it, so one place I guess would be to look would be the system preferences under keyboard or mouse or whatever. And usually trackpad will come under there. So if you don't see it under either of those, well, actually one thing I, I was just experimenting with today was uh, on the, no, I'm sorry. On the newer Macs, you can hold down uh, D to do diagnostics. On the older ones, you have to boot off of the CD, but you could run the Apple hardware test just to do a thorough test of the electronics. I, uh, so I have a question about that. I have something about the, the, the trackpad too, mm-hmm. but... In order to to do the diagnostics, you have to have the the boot CD or boot DVD in there and hold D down to do it. Correct. Um, for the older machines, I believe it's actually what is it? The uh, well, well, of course, we'll link to it as we always do. Yeah. But um, on the on the newer machines, actually, you don't even get it on the DVD or CD. It's on the hard drive. Like I had on no our, idea. On our MacBooks, really. Boot your MacBook. Hold down D. There you go. Learn something new every day. But that's Happy only, anniversary only to on me. the newest machines. On the older machines, yeah. yeah, as we mentioned, it's on the install OS uh, Isn't that uh, DVD, something? which I guess you just boot it. and it, Well, no, do you have to hold down? Ah, I'm ill-prepared. But anyways. Okay. What? All right. So uh, with regards to Adam's issue, he, he wanted to, to know if there was a way to definitively rule out software as the cause. And... I think the best way to do that is to grab that boot DVD or CD, whatever it would happen to be, and boot from it. That way you're not booting off of your internal drive. You're booting off of the the CD, which in theory has been untouched, right? It's got to be good. And that'll tell you right away, right? That's the guaranteed way of of doing it, at least in, you know, as far as guarantees go. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it happens. But I'm I'm wary of... uh as, as I think we mentioned, humidity or mm-hmm. environmental stuff. Because I've noticed when these trackpads get wet or in a high humidity environment, they don't work that great. Yep. I, yeah, actually, that's true. I've, I've found that. Uh, if your hands are sweaty, it, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work all that well. All right. Uh, we have, I think we got time for another one. And this is a fun one. Do so we have time? Yeah, of course we do. Let's, uh, let's jump back here to uh, the other Robert. Uh, you know, before we jump mm. back to the other Robert, I've been meaning to do this all show. You can contact us. You can send in your own questions. You can send in your own tips. Get out. Yeah. You can even send in just if you want to say hi. Right. Uh, and there's, believe it or not, we get a lot of feedback of people just saying, hey, love the show. Just wanted to say hi. And that's fine. I love it, actually. It's great. Um, so how do you do that? Well, uh, you can write an email and the email address, John, is... <clears throat> Uh, what is it? <laughs> you don't have it memorized. It's feedback at macgeekcab.com. Right, I know you, the number. Okay, what's the phone number, John? If you want to call, you can pick up your phone, your iPhone, your telephone. Your You can get one of those old bag phones and plug it into your cigarette lighter. Maybe? 206-666-GEEK, which is? 4335. And then Excellent. you can Skype your comments to macgeekcab. Uh, so those are the ways we can get them. Uh, I'm sure, you know, Pony Express and Smoke sna- Signals and Snail Mail would, would work. Pony, but. Come on, <laughs> USPS, please. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah, FedEx yeah. or that's right. UPS yeah. or that's something. Right. Yeah, go ahead and FedEx us a, uh, 
a uh, a, a comment <laughs> that'll that'll uh, that'll make some friends of the show very happy. Uh, all right, so <laughs> let's go to Robert. I got a really geeky question for you. I have a uh, a Wii Nintendo system that uh, sits on my wireless network, as well as a few Macs. This is at my house. And was wondering, is there a way to check and see how much bandwidth my Wii system is using when I play a game like Mario Kart Online? Uh, just wondering if you knew. I was just wondering how much bandwidth it's actually sucking up from uh, the rest of the world. Thanks. Bye. All right. Well, first of all, I guess we got to trade friend codes on that because uh, because we're going to need to see who uh, who's got the mad skills at Mario Kart. But but this is an interesting question because it it, it is good to know. And you know, it's the kind of thing. You may not have a Wii and you may not care about that, but you might have, say, an Apple TV and you want to know how fast is this thing sucking down data, right? I had the expensive but definitive solution. And that was? Well, that is you get yourself, for those who have done software or hardware work, you get a protocol analyzer. Okay. Which is a device that is meant to, and actually I'm, I'm playing with one at work that I'm very happy with, to do USB work, but basically a protocol analyzer is is a device that you put on a communications line and it basically watches everything going back and forth and tells you what's happening. Now, the only bad news is they're, they're typically, if they're a standalone device, expensive, but, but they're good, you know, and again, if you work for a company, you can probably afford to get one. You know, they're <laughs> several thousand bucks. But, but I think Dave, when we were talking before the show, you came up with a brilliant solution on how to do this for, for a little less money. Yeah, so uh, probably not worth spending a couple grand to figure out what Mario Kart's up to. Uh, <laughs> but who knows? You know, I mean, we all have our priorities. Uh, so my first thought was, okay, we head down the SNMP path, which uh, means Simple Network Monitoring Protocol. And it's a way of querying devices to see what they're up to. And there's a jillion things you can get out of them. But most routers, including Apple's routers, will report... The, the bandwidth that they are consuming, both upstream and downstream, and we'll report that separately. So you can use a piece of software. I've used uh, a program called MRTG, which is multi-router traffic grapher. And if that's not what it is, it sure sounds good. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and it essentially runs on, I have it running on one of my machines, and every five minutes it queries my router and, and then builds these graphs. So you can see what it's up to. And if any of you were at WWDC, you saw some of these MRTG graphs up on the, on the displays that, yeah. that talked about. Yeah. Those were nice. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, so everything. Okay. I, I hear noises. All right. Uh, so, so that's one I way hear. to do it and it is free, but it requires, it, it takes time. Even if you know exactly what you're doing, it, yeah, it no. takes time. But then you're right. I had an inspiration and I thought, you know, Mario Kart, via the Wii connects wirelessly to the network. So unplug your router, plug your Mac into the cable modem directly via ethernet, and then go into the sharing system preference pane and enable uh, airport uh, sharing, right? So internet connection sharing, if you will, and then connect your Mario Kart or connect your Wii up to your Mac's wireless network. So now essentially your Mac is acting as a router, but it's a router that has a really, really killer user interface and you can do all kinds uh -huh. of stuff with it, including launching, 
either activity monitor or if you have menu meters running, you can launch menu meters. And as long as you're not doing anything else on the connection at that point in time, you can see how much traffic is uh, is being used. And, and then you chalk that up to Mario Kart. So that's uh, that's my uh, and, and that's I my have answer. done that. So a few things. So n- number one, we have, um, and Dave, you and I both use this, uh, Intermapper. Yep. So it costs money. I, I think this is a, you know, medium grade, you know, work group or corporate product. So it costs money. Right. Know, several hundred dollars. So, but it displays from what I've seen things, you know, I'm, I'm sure they have a trial, but it displays things uh, very nicely. Um, so that's one option that you may want to look at if you're, uh, you know, operating a bigger network. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, uh, so, so that's the answer. If somebody has a, an even better answer, really, if anybody knows about any good SNMP tools for the Mac, I'm sure there's something out there that would get this data easier than MRTG does, uh, especially just for a snapshot. If you're not looking for, you know, a history graph or anything like that. So I said, the only thing I would mention is that you want to be cautious about, because I, I did this. So it was probably <laughs> over 10 years ago. Okay. But um, when I was in a environment where you had to set up your computer manually, whether it be Windows or Mac, and it was most likely Windows, like Windows 3.1. Yes, I'm dating myself. You could set these parameters manually, like the subnet mask and the router and all that. Here's what you don't want to do. You don't want to set your computer to be the router. Right. So that's my only caution to what you said, Dave, is don't be very, very careful if you're going to punch in these addresses manually, because if your computer is saying, hi, I'm the router, that that, that can't be a good thing. Right. Yep. That's true. That's true. All right. Uh, So you can, uh, there's a couple things we need to talk about here as we wrap up. iPhoneAlley.com is Michael Johnston's site, and he has converted this into AAC for your listening and interactivity pleasure. Excellent. And we're gearing up for uh, for that show, right? That's right. Uh, but I, but before, so before we talk about the show, uh, iPhone Alley is giving away an iPhone 3G. So yeah, yeah go check it out. They've got a, a thing going. So uh, only one, and you got to contribute, but contribute to the the site. But you know, it's all free. So uh, go check that out. Um, yeah, that's right. New Media Expo is coming up. It's uh, I think 58 days away or 59 days away at this point. <laughs> uh, it's August. 14th through 16th in Las Vegas. Uh, so that's Thursday through Saturday, which is great. They've got it more uh, during the week, which I think is a good thing for the whole industry. John and I will definitely be there and uh, would love to love to see you there. So Cashfly is the company providing all the bandwidth for us. And the podcast marketplace this month includes the A5 and A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. BB Edit from Barebones Software, Page Sender from Smile on My Mac, Conference Recorder from Ecamm Networks, Audible, of course, your free download from audiblepodcast.com slash macgeekcab, and our favorite travel source, harman-etravel.com. You can give us an anniversary present, though. We love those iTunes reviews, and right now we're at 188. So can we can we break the uh, the 200 mark between now and uh, next week, which will be Monday? So we've only got six days because we recorded a day late uh, this week. So you got your work cut out for you, folks, but it's 12. There's thousands of you out there. Tens of thousands. I think we can get 12. Right, please. Can I ask, please? All right. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, that's uh, that's all we got here. So, <laughs> what a ride out. Yep. Yep. Stop <clears throat> Go Celtics. Hmm. Celtics are playing right now. They're playing. Yeah. Could be the big thing. First time in 22 years. Don't get caught. Made up.